Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Welcome into a special edition of Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, January 11th. I am Frank Stanfield, and we're recording this Monday night. So, no Scott. He's off rooting for his Georgia Bulldogs. Good luck, Scotty. But we have a unique podcast for you as we're doing a bit of a sit-down interview with a special guest, which I teased on yesterday's podcast. He is a gentleman who just had... I'm going to go out there and say it. The greatest fantasy baseball season ever. He just won the National Fantasy Baseball Championship main event overall, the auction championship, and finished second in the online championship as well. This might all sound very confusing and intimidating for those who are not uh, familiar with the NFBC, but just know that this man is a beast. It is my pleasure to introduce Phil Dusso. What's going on, Phil? How are you feeling? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Probably not as good as you. We were talking a little bit beforehand, but yeah, you are coming off the the greatest fantasy baseball season ever, taking down multiple uh, overall competitions. And not only that, people might not realize this. You had three teams that finished in the top 24 overall in the main event. And this is out of 645 entries. Each of these are $1,700 a clip. So people need to, I'm just trying to set this up so that people who aren't familiar just kind of understand the grand scheme of how impressive it was, what you just accomplished, and your overall winnings from this past season, $324,000 in fantasy baseball. That's an awesome feeling. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. It was uh, as the season progressed, I sort of started believing uh, about halfway through the season that I was doing something special. But then the last uh, month or two were just crazy and hoping everything would would go as I'd hope. And um, I, I led the main event in previous years. Um, so I've 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 been up there, but it lasted like a couple of days. And then I went went back down to, I don't know, fifth or tenth or around there but being up there i stayed first for three months so um it was uh it's nerve-wracking great feeling and i was happy when it when it was all done yeah it's just amazing amazing what you put together this past season i competed in the main event for those who are wondering well where did you finish frank 266th overall. So I've got some work to do, and uh, that's part of why Phil's here, so I could pick his brain, and of course, we could all learn from what he did this past season. Make sure to follow Phil on Twitter at phildusso 27 That's P-H-I-L-D-U-S-S-A-U-L-T-27. And there are tons of great articles on the internet right now. You can read more about Phil's background and specifically this team that he put together this past season. So one of those you can find over at The Score that was written by Travis Sochik. And then over at Sports Illustrated, Sean Childs has written some great content, not just one piece. I think there's you know up to three or four pieces right now about Phil's team uh, from this past season and, and how he was 
able to accomplish that again. Like, I just want to give you a big congrats. Like people don't even realize how awesome it is the season that you just put together. So, uh, do you, have you been able to maybe just kind of take a step back and take it all in, right? Like the self-realization that you are literally on the top of the fantasy baseball mountain. There's a lot of really, really smart people. And I know that you know that for sure. And amongst all of them, you were the best in 2021. So have you been able to just really take that in? Yeah, I think so. Um, it took me a while. Um, I've sort of realized that people were reaching out to me to be on podcasts. And uh, the first one I did when the uh, earth, I think when there's a week left when Jeff Erickson reached out to me to be, to be on the Rotowire podcast for me, that was Jeff is the first person I listened to uh, when I started playing fantasy baseball. So to be a guest on his podcast and start and talk to him was just amazing. So um, things like that happening sort of made me realize, oh, this is cool. This is something big. Uh, before that, I just felt like I was, I don't know, just doing playing fantasy baseball in my basement for for big amounts of money, but still like just in my basement, not doing anything special. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Jeff's a great dude. And, and I, I've been on the podcast with him before. And look, he's, you know, one of the founding fathers when it comes to fantasy baseball. So uh, it's really cool that you were able to go on there. I actually listened to that podcast as, as soon as it came out because, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're competing for all of all this money towards the end of the season. So it was really cool to kind of uh, hear you at that time. And then obviously you were able to, to take down uh, all of these different competitions. So again, congrats to you. Uh, you, you become a bit of a, cele- a celebrity here. You know, I, I turn on <laughs> podcasts and I'm, I'm constantly hearing the name Phil and Phil Dusso and everyone's talking about uh, what you just did and, and, and rightfully so. Uh, I was going to, we're going to jump into your background a little bit. And, and obviously we'll talk about the team that you just put together. And later on, we'll, we'll talk about some 2022 things as well. I don't know if you realize this, but we competed against each other back in 2019. We were in the NYC main event together. And mind you, I was like way in over my head. I showed up with my little ranking sheet and, you know, I'm taking notes and, you know, it, I, look, I was just way in over my head. I, I had someone who wanted to back me. I'm very appreciative for the opportunity, but we competed in the same draft. And it turns out not only did you win that league, but you finished top 10 that year in the overall in 2019. So. I yeah, I didn't know about it until you told me. And it was funny because <laughs> when I showed up in New York, I didn't know anyone. Um, I was just a shy kid just sitting down there for my main event. Not, And then happened that Ryan Bloomfield was right next to me. And he's probably the nicest guy in the industry. And um, we just started talking. And then after talking to him, I sort of felt more comfortable. Um, like English isn't my first language. So... No, just all that, not knowing anyone in a room like that. And then just talking to Ryan, so it's just made the experience better. And then I talked to a bunch of people, made friends there. So um, it, it was weird showing up that it was Saturday morning um, in that room. It was it was intimidating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've got multiple drafts going on at once. And, you know, it's, it's literally just a draft that's going around a table and you have a minute per pick. So, you know, it is definitely intimidating. It's a fun experience to do uh, these live events. And I understand why so many people want to get in on them. It, it really is a fun experience. Um, but yeah, I was actually on the other side of Ryan Bloomfield. And you're right. He, I mean, he's one of, one of the nicest guys in the industry. And we remain, remain friends to this day. So we were, you know, drafting on opposite sides of him. And I'm pretty sure either going into June or July, I was going to say that I was in first. That probably doesn't seem realistic if you were in the league. But I know that I was top three in the league. And then I lost Chris Sale. And I lost Frankie Montas to suspension. And then everything went downhill after that. So uh, it was a nice little foray for me to kind of jump in. And uh, it was... Yeah, I was just looking back at like my historical teams and I realized, wow, 
I was in the same league as Phil. Like, how did I not realize this? <laughs> anyway, let's jump into your background before we get into your actual team from this past year. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, how, how did you get to this point, your background? How did you get into fantasy baseball when you started playing? So on and so forth. Yeah, um, I grew up uh, uh, near Montreal. So I was an Expos fan when I was a kid. Uh, but then they moved to Washington when I was probably, I guess, 12 or 13 years old. Um, so I sort of stopped watching baseball. And the last few years, they didn't have a very good team. So um, it I sort of stopped following baseball. Um, I had my own fantasy football website uh, in college for three years. So um, fantasy football was my game. I always played it and had my website. So focused on that. And then uh, Moneyball came out. And with uh, my fascination for math, I was really intrigued by that. And then I read um, Fantasy Land also. And that was the first time I heard about uh, Roto Fantasy Baseball. So that sort of just, you know, just in the back of my mind, heard about it, but never really thought I could play for some reason. Um, and then I heard uh, Jeff and Chris on the on the SiriusXM show talk about NFBC. I'm like, oh, this sounds really cool. I've heard about Moneyball. I've heard, I've heard about Roto Baseball. It's just numbers, and I can do that. So I uh, just decided to jump in a main event in 2017. First time I played fantasy baseball was in a main event, which seems kind of crazy, and it probably was. But I figured... Uh, Gotta start somewhere, so why not a main event? <laughs> uh, that is absolutely crazy. You like you said it sounds crazy. It is crazy. So imagine this. Like again, let's set this up for the people that are listening and watching. Your first time playing fantasy baseball, you jump into a league that costs seventeen hundred dollars. That's pretty crazy. The first year I split the <laughs> I split the entry fee with uh, with my brother. We actually did uh, two main events, which we split. So figure we'd uh, I guess uh separate the risk a little bit and have two two chances at it and actually went pretty well that first year all right well but, no matter what way you slice it phil it was seventeen hundred dollars for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh yeah so that that's that's pretty interesting fantasy land a great uh great book by the way nando defino is uh featured in that book multiple times former host analyst of this podcast as well and still a great friend of mine so uh yeah if for anyone who hasn't read fantasy land and whoever anyone who hasn't read the process which is a great book by jeff zimmerman and tanner bell i actually just cracked open mine today true story i had no idea that you wrote the introduction to the book so <laughs> like oh well this is pretty interesting and just phil wrote the introduction and i'm about to have him on the podcast so uh that was just a completely random thing but yeah go check that book out as well uh they're both great you're nicknamed the robot because you have the system that you created and obviously it helps you draft it. It helps take, I think what a lot of people will say about using projections and creating a system and uh, having all these different kind of Excel sheets that help you draft is that it eliminates subjectivity. It's, it's all about projections and, and uh, spitting them out and basically telling you which player to draft. And that's how you earn the nickname, the robot. First off, do you even like this nickname, Phil? Um, I'm okay with it. I've never, like, I've never called myself the robot. I'll go around introducing myself as the <laughs> robot or anything like that. Um, so I, I'm, I just call my NFBC teams the robot because I guess that's what people know me. Um, and people call me the robot, then it's fine. I don't, I'm, I don't care for it either way. <laughs> you don't wake up in the in the morning and then give yourself a little prep talk. Come on, robot. Let's just, no, you don't do that. <laughs> it, it does represent the way I, I manage my teams, though. So um, yeah. It does fit with my with my NFBC profile, which I, I think is is pretty interesting too. Because just kind of getting back to your background, it, it's you didn't really have a fantasy baseball background. It was more fantasy football, and uh, I guess talk more about this 
the system that you have and you know you mentioned math already a few times and money balls so how do you kind of how does all of that blend together like when you're first starting to play fantasy baseball it's how do you come up with uh, blending together, you know, your interest in math and maybe, you know, whatever skills you have using Excel and, and kind of all these things together and, and how it kind of led you to this point. So when I started in 2017, um, all I did was average three sets of projections. Um, so it was really simple. I actually did that for 2017 and 2018. And then I used the um, standing gain points formula, uh, which, as you said, you in um, you read the process. It's in there. Um, it explains how to value players. Um, so I just used that, put that together and then sort of similar to my fantasy football background, um, just following the positions properly without any bias, just looking at the numbers, like in, in football, the quarterbacks score more points, but it's more about the difference between the players at the position, not the exact number of points. So when I ran the formula, um, I adjusted based on positions, moved up catchers, then adjusted starters, depending on where I thought, um, based on ADP. I mean, I have to get starters somewhere. So I just pushed them up to a point where I'd get enough to have a relatively balanced team. And when I did that, it worked. It said draft starters early. So my first main event, I um, my first team, actually, people think it was crazy. I think it was Sale, Kluber, uh, Melanson, and Jansen. One, two, three, four. Two starters and two um, two closers. That was sort of before the, the pocket aces wow. was a cool thing. And that team actually finished 12th overall i believe so um that's one of the things just not knowing anything about fantasy baseball um if i'd been playing for 10 years and had played in home leagues where you don't draft aces early then i probably wouldn't have done it but just not knowing anything at all um it just that's what the numbers told me though so it's what i did um and i drafted catchers early that year as well because they they seemed undervalued when i did my my position adjustments so um that part helped me um, at the start. And then, um, so 2017 went really well, 2018 didn't go as well. And then that's when I figured I had to step up my game. I can't just average three sets of projections anymore. It's not good enough for, for the main event. Um, so then 2019, I spent hours and hours that off season, just trying to figure out what's not accounted for in projections. So I listened to podcasts and talk, talk, people talking about pitch mix, about uh, increase in fastball velo. And they're all, those are all things that projections don't really account for. So um, I tried to come up with formulas that would include those in my projections. And everything I do, I always backtest. So um, if we take fastball velo, for example, I'll see if, if someone increased their velo from 2017 to 2018, then I'll try to combine that with the projection we had for 2019. And then I'll see what happened to that pitcher at the end of 2019 season. So I won't do anything randomly. It's just all about, I mean, we have the results for the 2019 season, so why not use them? And I knew my, what my projection was before the season started. So I just tried including a bunch of things that um, weren't accounted for um, testing, testing. I tested every stat I can think of and sometimes think that don't even make sense. Just trying to figure out what can make the gap smaller between my projection and what actually happened that season. Um, so over the last two years, two, three years, it's been hours and hours of work, just testing different stats and going on fan graphs, going in Savant, trying different time frames, all that stuff. Um, and now I've, I think I've come up with something pretty good. So, um, this offseason, it was quicker than it's been in the past. So most of the, most of the work is done. And I still try to improve. It's still, still want to get better.
Yeah. No, no, I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating because obviously, look, you're putting in tons and tons of hours. You're putting the work in. So it's really cool to hear that that paid off for you. So that, that first and foremost, that's awesome. It's not like, all right, yeah, you're just running projections because look, a lot of people are doing that. Let's be honest. People who are drafting right now, they're, they're doing a lot of the similar things. Do you, you know, one of the main projections we have out right now that uh, is free and accessible are steamer projections. So I'm, I am assuming most people are working off of those. There are a few other projections out there right now. And I know Todd Zola and Rotowire, they have their, their projections as well. Um, but yeah, so you're going back and you're back testing things, which is like, fascinating because then you could see what actually matters and what doesn't right so people talk about pitch mix changes but you've actually gone in and you've looked and seen all right well if this pitcher does have a pitch mix change or they add velocity did it actually matter the next year so that that part to me is really cool because i think we don't we probably don't spend enough time looking back on what happened it's like the season ends and you know maybe we take a month off or whatever and then it's just look ahead like we'll just start thinking about the next season but like really going back and and looking back at the season and kind of learning, that's like almost as important as anything, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And even on Twitter, you'll see um, everyone post lists of uh, look at in 2021, the top pitchers in K minus walk ratio or swinging strike rate from, I don't know, June to September or whatever. But show me the list for 2020 or 2019 when it was a full season and look at how those pitchers did at the end of the year. And that's going to tell me if that list is worth something or not. Right. Um, and like, it's not, it's not sexy when you put it on Twitter, you put, Oh, well, here's what happened in 2019. <laughs> but <laughs> so, so I get it for Twitter. You just do it last year and then people can analyze and do what they want with it. But um, if you want to actually make those lists usable, you have to look at the same list the year before, two years ago, three years ago. Um, and, and that's one of the things I do in the offices and I'll, I'll look at, Vlad's one of the guys I missed on. So I'll go back and look at Vlad's numbers for 2020 and see what did I miss? What did he improve on? Is there Was there something in 2020 in his numbers that could tell us that he was about to break out? Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But um, if I find something, I'll test it and see if it works. Yeah, I think Vlad is such an interesting case too because to me, there really wasn't anything that showed in the 2020 numbers that this was about to happen. And that's where we kind of get into the the subjectivity of fantasy baseball, because we were all we really had to work on with Vlad was narrative based was that, you know, he was working out and he was getting in the best shape of his life, which we often hear about a lot of players, but it was different for him. You could tell he had a chip on his shoulder and he wanted to be included in that conversation with the best young players in the game, Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto. So we kept getting these videos of him working out and he's losing weight and you know, he's, he's not eating unhealthy anymore and, and, and really kind of put the work in, in the off season and obviously it helps when he changes his launch angle as, as much as he did, which is something that we can now quantify this season, but there was really no indication in 2020 that that was going to happen. So Vlad, I think is kind of one of those unique picks, Phil, where it's kind of just a leap of faith, right? Like prospect pedigree coupled with the fact that we had all these off season narratives at that told us, yeah, there's a real chance that he could break out. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I didn't find anything with Vlad, like you said, and he's the one, he's actually the one guy last year where I thought about going against my system um it just the narrative was there the skills were there and i i had a feeling it was coming but i i i had one share of latin was my first best ball um back in december i guess it was 2020 um i think it's his uh i got him lower than than his uh his main edp at that point because uh, he was moving up when people saw he was working out um so it, it's actually what i love about fantasy baseball is that you don't have to have 
a specific player to win. You can win. There's 23 roster spots. There's 26 weeks. You can you can win a league without. I won the overall and I won a bunch of leagues. I had basically no Vlad in my big leagues. Had no Tani. Um, I had none of the big. I had no Sal Perez. Like the 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 fantasy MVPs. I didn't have any of them. I still managed to win. So there's so many ways to win. I I'd say just. It's okay if you mess out on player. It's not the end of the world. There's plenty of ways to win. Yeah, no, I think that's a perfect point, too. And for anyone who's listening or watching that who doesn't play in the NFBC, even if you play in a home league, and I'm not trying to disparage that. Look, I play in a bunch of home leagues as well. That's the main point, Phil, is that there are plenty of different ways to win. You don't need to have Vlad. Of course, it's, it would be fun to have Vlad on your team and, and Otani. I had Otani in my main. I didn't win that league because I did a lot of things wrong. So I think it's a good point that there's not just one way to win. There are multiple different ways to do this. I, I kind of want to wrap up this conversation on on the system. Is there anything that you could reveal within the system? You mentioned you know pitch mix changes and velocity that you look at for starting pitchers. Are there any other main stats that you're looking at? Maybe when it comes to pitchers or hitters, you know Sierra swinging strike rate, maybe batted ball data for hitters. Um, in 2020, I changed my system. I decided to start with an average of three sets of projections. In 2020, with the short season. Um, I, I sorry in 2021 last year, um, because of the, I didn't, I wasn't sure what, how the, the projections would handle the short season. So I decided to just do everything from scratch, my own projection. So, uh, for those, I use Sierra, I use swinging strike rage. I use K minutes walk ratio, um, for hitters, just all the stack ass stuff, Watts, um, strikeouts, all the basic stuff. And then, um, and the next part is where I try to do creative things, um, with, like I said, the, the pitch mix, the, the fastball velo. Um, I'll look at lineup spots sometimes, um, projections sometimes assume a guy who's going to hit second is going to stay there all year, but it's not necessarily true. So um, just a couple of things like that. But it's nothing – a lot of the ideas I got were from podcasts. So it's, it's mainly about just quantifying things um, rather than any – there might be like – I might have 40 things I look at. There's probably – four or five that might surprise you everything else is just about knowing how much everything is worth like is 0.5 miles an hour in fastball velo worth um how do you compare that with like uh using your slider 10 percent more so it's just putting that together that's that's the hard part that's where it's um i i came up for, with formulas some people have been playing for 10 15 years just know they don't need a formula they just know um so it's just right. different ways of doing things yeah, no, and I think that's a good point. It's the more you play, the more you realize what actually matters and what doesn't. I think you just got to add one more one more category there this year, Phil, and it's that that breakout category, that that Vlad category, the one that you can't quantify. It's just like, do you have a feeling? Put a check in the box and see what happens there. Uh, the last thing I'll ask you about this is, do you think it's possible to be a successful high stakes player without having a system, without having an Excel sheet, or or maybe? Obviously, you know, we're all looking at projections and things, but I'd be lying if I said that I was incredibly Excel savvy. I know how to use Excel and, you know, I, I, I dove more into SGP, standings, game points, and uh, draft software in recent years, but I, I am still learning. That is for sure. Do you think you can be successful maybe without having a system like this? Yeah, for sure. And I think the biggest mistake you can make is try to do what I'm doing if those aren't your skills. Right. Um, there's like, if 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 you're not, I've been using Excel since I was probably no eight or nine years old. So wow. I I know I know the ins and outs. I I've, I'm pretty familiar with formulas. I've been building this for four years, so I know 
what matters, what mistakes not to make. Because I made plenty of mistakes in my first in 2019 when I put this together. And my that team we had in the same league, I, I kind of got lucky because some of my other teams weren't great. Um, so if I, I've learned a lot doing this, but if you try to copy me and you're going to make more mistakes, then, then, then it'll help you out. Um, what I'd say is stick to what you're good at. If you're not going to make, making projections, use ATC, use average three, three sets of projections, use that as their starting point and then figure out where you can be projections. That's playing time. So if you read the news, if you read, what coaches say, you can adjust playing time annually. If, you're, if you've watched, I don't know, all the Blue Jays games last year, I have a feeling about um, Ryu and you read that he was missing his family so he could explain why he wasn't as good in the second half, then you can bump him up if, if you truly believe in that. You can you can look at pitch mix manually. I mean, I have a formula, but someone who goes through one pitcher at a time is probably going to do a better job than my formula. It's just mine's quicker. So um, you just have to put put the time where, where it's worth it. And it's definitely possible. Not, I mean, a lot of top players aren't as Excel uh, savvy as I am. And there's different ways to win. That's, that's, that's a great thing. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And Phil, look, I know you probably, you're not looking for cash this time of year. Obviously you're coming off a big season, but if you ever are, I'll throw you a couple bucks. You could teach me a little bit about Excel, <laughs> uh, specifically about being able to look up pitch mix changes quickly. I mean, that would be a lifesaver because it is, uh, it's pretty tough to go pitcher by pitcher. Let's take a closer look at the uh, winning main event team that you drafted here. It was the third overall pick. And in the first round, you got Jacob deGrom. And I actually saw you started your... It's not your first draft, but it's your first, I guess, bigger money draft, a $1,000 draft champions league, which is a 15 team draft and hold. There's no waivers. There's no trades. All you do throughout the course of the season is set your lineup. You started one draft just recently. You had a fourth overall pick and you went with Garrett, Garrett Cole. I look back at the draft we did together back in 2019. You had the ninth overall pick. Who'd you take? Jacob deGrom. So is it safe to say that you are a proponent of drafting aces early? Before we get to that, we can make my pick live because I'm on the clock right now in the third round of that draft. Oh, oh, all right. So this is, I don't know that this has happened on another podcast, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that it hasn't. We're making history here on Fantasy Baseball today. (laughs) Phil is going to make a pick live on the air. Uh, Who do you have so far? This is just the team with Garrett Cole? Uh, I got Cole in the first round and Josh Hader in the second round. Um, And before people think I'm crazy. Josh um, Hader in the second round. Wow. This is a the one thousand dollar DC, and that's the that's where it starts to look like a main event. Um, okay. There were three, four, five, six pitchers. I guess five and a half, mainly five, because Otani doesn't really count. Um, five pitchers in the first thirteen picks, and then Hendricks went before me in the second round. Um, wow. So I was there at pick twenty seven, and it's mainly format based. I don't think I'd do this in a main event, but any DC. Um, you can't pick up any uh, any closers during the season, so it's whoever you draft that you you have. I just feel more comfortable with the top guys. Um, like everyone agrees that Hendricks and Hater are the top two closers. Yeah, but I can make an argument for a guy in the fifth round over a hitter in the second round. Um, like Eloy was early third last year, so what's not to tell us he can match? I don't know, Yodan Alvarez or Aaron Judge's production. Right. So I just think the gap is bigger between uh, the closers than it is with, with hitters and, and starters. So um, 
that's why I went hater in the second round. And Iglesias actually went in the early third. So I'm not the only one doing this in this draft. And I sort of thought that was coming. And I, if I didn't draft hater, he, he was he would be gone. So right. um, I took him there. Uh, so now I'm going to go hitter in third round. And the two guys I'm hesitating between are the Oscar Hernandez or Trevor Story. Ooh, all right. So uh, I know you had Teoscar Hernandez on your main event team last year. I don't know if uh, maybe it's a little some some home cooking. I don't know if you're a Blue Jays fan, but he was amazing. He was awesome last yeah. year. The Blue Jays lineup, even without Marcus Simeon, is probably still going to be really good. A lot of power. I think some speed, you know, maybe 10 to 15 steals for Teoscar. Uh, Trevor Story, we don't know where he's going to play yet. Almost, un- almost certainly going to you know, see that batting average drop outside of Coors Field. But regardless... I think he still should be a 2020 bet. Yeah, yeah. And I've got them actually right next to each other. Each other. The Oscar is 17.21 and Trevor Store is 17.16. So it's really hard to be closer than this in my <laughs> rankings. Um, I've got both of them hitting 30 home runs. Basically, the average I have about the same. Trevor Story being around 260. And that's kind of what I see for the Oscar. I think that bat is going to come down a little bit. Uh, and playing at Rogers Stadium is going to be a little a little tougher for him than being in Dunedin. And, um, I mean, it's basically, I think, more stolen bases for Story and more home runs for Teoscar. Um, and the counting stats depend on where Story ends up. Yeah. Um, so I'm really going back and forth here. Uh, <laughs> when I say I'm making the pick live, I'm really hesitating. It's not a fake job. <laughs> <laughs> These aren't theatrics, everyone. I mean, he's legitimately <laughs> weighing the pros and cons of each player right now, uh, live on the air. So, look, you don't and have there's to. Also, there's also Whit Merrifield, but I think I prefer the other two over him. Although he's he's in consideration too with the, the multi position. I think I'm going to go Trevor Story actually. Okay. Um, the main reason I think he's the more balanced hitter, um, and I think getting extra stolen bases uh, and power. Um, probably gives me more options down the road. Um, before you, if I go pay Oscar, I feel I'll probably have to get more speed in the fourth or fifth. So, yeah, uh, you're right about that. Uh, but before you do that, shortstop is pretty deep this year. So I want to point that out. Well, so is outfield. So, Ooh, is it though? I don't know. I I feel like the top tier of outfield talent kind of falls off quickly, but yeah, well, I, I guess with, with, I'm not, I'm actually not that worried about positions that early. Um, Maybe third base or first base, I'd give a little bump. But usually, early in the draft, I think I just go with with the stats I like better, and then I'll figure out the positions later. All right. So is that is that the pick? Is Trevor Story the pick? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna pick it right now. Trevor Story, it is. All right. So you heard it here live on the air. Starts off his first one thousand dollar DC of the offseason with Garrett Cole, Josh Hader, and then Trevor Story there in the third round. But let's get back to this team that you drafted uh, this past season. Your main event winning team. Mentioned that you took Jacob Degrom uh, first in this draft, uh, third overall, and then you took Machado and Bo Bichette in the second and third. Machado was fine. Bichette was amazing. Uh, and then you took two closers in Rysel Iglesias in the fourth, Trevor Rosenthal in the fifth, and you got a zero. You got a zero from your fifth round pick, and you still managed to take this down. So I, I think that's another really good point for people that, you know, even if you lose, you know, a top five round pick, you could still make it up. You know, like it's not... It sucks, of course, but it's not its not the end-all, be-all. Yeah, it would have been a lot easier if, if Rosenthal had pitched because I spent um, four months chasing saves, and I, I spent a lot of my fab money on that and probably 
an hour and a half every Sunday looking at box scores and trying to figure out who's next in line and things like that. And actually, that one was really frustrating because in my rankings, I had Ryan Presley right ahead of Trevor Rosenthal. And if I'd had Presley, um, <laughs> it would have been a lot easier. Right, uh, right. <laughs> and the reason I took Rosenthal is because Presley wasn't pitching in spring training. He was pitching on in backfields. And they were saying, oh, he's just – he's fine. There's no issues. But it seemed fishy when you have two guys pretty close. I felt I'd go with, with Rosenthal who would just – he didn't pitch early in spring. And then he pitched a couple innings um, right before this draft. So, okay, Rosenthal is healthy. He's um, – Oakland actually spent money on players. So – He's going to be their guy. Uh, but then Rosenthal gets hurt and Presley's pitching in spring like a couple of days later. So that one was frustrating. It probably would have hounded me for a while if, if I didn't end up winning the main event. Because <laughs> I know with, with Presley, I, I, it probably would have been done a lot a lot earlier um, than, than the last week of the season. Yeah, and I'll point it out in a little bit when we go through you know some of the bigger waiver wire ads that you made throughout the season. But you, you did a great job of kind of grinding out the... Uh, the closer position and saves. So we'll, we'll get to that. But um, let's just move on here to Oscar Hernandez. You took in the sixth round last year. And are you actually a Blue Jays fan? I probably should ask you this beforehand. Yes and no. Um, I'm so addicted to my fantasy team. So I'll just cheer for my players. And last year, I had a lot, I had a lot of Robbie Ray and Steven Matt. So um, I watch more Jays than I usually do. Um, if they're in the playoffs, I'll cheer for the Jays for sure. Um, but during the season, I don't watch them. I'll, I'll, I watch. I'm. I'm I, I watch my players more more than I watch uh, the Jays. Yeah. So, were you confident in Teoscar Hernandez because of the Blue Jays lineup, as good as it looked on paper, or was it just his skill set that you really liked, or maybe a combination of both? Yeah, it was the skill set. I was actually in on him in, in 2020. Um, so, what he did in 2020, he, he was better than I expected, but it was somewhat a confirmation what I expected. Um, and then when people were drafting in 2021. A lot of for a lot of people, the 2020 season came out of nowhere. For me, it was sort of better than I expected, but I knew it was it was there. Um, so when I could get him in the sixth round for um, a guy like the previous year, and he just backed up what I sort of thought he could do, the the, the big power and speed um, in the sixth round. And for for this pick in the third round, I, I'm looking for a few more steals. So, but in the sixth round, getting probably 10 to 12 stolen bases with, with 30, 35 home runs um, was, was a no brainer. And then the average was, was a nice surprise. So um, it, he, he worked out great. Yeah. I'm actually in a $150 DC right now and I had pick eight and I started Vlad stalling Marte and then to Oscar Hernandez. So oh, nice. Yeah. It's nice. Kind of hit a little bit of everything, power, speed, batting average, pitching Worth staff. Pitching. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the next question, right? Uh, Kevin Gosman like lasted longer than I thought. I, I, so I took Lindor in the fourth and then I got Gosman Morton, Lopez as my top three starters. And I got Will Smith as my first closer. So oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I think like it. I think it's all right. And I think, uh, you know, I took well, not so, we won't talk about the pitchers that I got later on because I'm, I'm a little upset about it, but it's, it's perfectly fine. I'll just read you those <laughs> first eight picks and and we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, round seven through ten for you. You took Charlie Morton, which I just mentioned Kevin Gosman, which I just mentioned uh, Jeff McNeil and Pablo Lopez. Wow. Look at that. I didn't even plan this uh, through ten rounds. You had four starting pitchers. You had two closers and four hitters. Were you more aggressive on pitching? last season coming off the shortened season to have that much, you know, four starting pitchers, two closers, only four hitters through your first 10 rounds. I, I, I always draft pitching early. Um, in this case, I think coming off the short season, 
Uh, and we'll talk about with my with my later picks. I think there were a lot of of hitters that were mispriced. Guy got Yuli Gurriel in twenty first round. I got in a bunch of drafts. Bad twenty twenty season, but that was mainly because of low BABIP. And you can get guaranteed playing time in the middle of the the Astros lineup in the twenty first round. It seemed like a no brainer. So the bunch of guys like that, like him, like Cesar Hernandez, um, Robbie Grossman hitting leadoff, um, getting you four categories in the twentieth round. There were just a lot of hitters like that that I liked late. So. Because of that, I felt more comfortable just pushing pitching a little bit because uh, I knew I could get hitters that I, I thought could be going in the 10th, 12th round, uh, but I could get them in, in rounds 15 to 20, 22. So, and Joey Votto is another one I had a bunch of shares of. Um, same reason, guaranteed playing time and coming off a so so season. But so, it, I, yeah, I pushed up pitching a little bit more. And in this draft, I actually got more than I, I planned to. Uh, but it's more than Gosman and Lopez were three guys I like. And I got them all after ADP. Um, for some reason, the guys I like were slipping. Um, so it just made sense to grab them. And I think in the main event, you can never have enough pitching. So um, when in doubt, I grab the pitcher and then I'll, I'll deal with the hitters later. Yeah. And you managed to avoid Zach Plesak, which, you know, I should have listened to you, Phil, because I heard you <laughs> on Rob DiPietro's podcast before the season talk about how low you were on Zach Plesak. I think you had him ranked outside the top 50 starting pitchers. For some reason, I still drafted him. Drafted him in the main event. He was, uh, I think, our SP3 or SP4. He just lasted so late. I think it was like the eighth round. But you got to realize, when that many smart people around you are not drafting a player, it's probably for good reason. So, uh, yeah, Zach, please, Zach, never again. It's, I just don't know. Um, it, it makes so much sense when you break it down. Talking about Yuli Gurriel, round 21, right? Hitting in the middle of the Astros lineup. He's going to play every day. Uh, and a few other hitters that you, you got specifically in this draft who... You could say something similar about, I mean, Brian Reynolds was coming off a, an underwhelming 2020, but a lot of hitters were, and it doesn't make them bad players. It's just, it's a shortened season. So how much stock do you actually put into that? You got him in round 18 and then you get Chris Taylor in round 19, who is in a great lineup. Maybe we have some questions about, is he going to play every single day, but he's a super utility guy. And again, I mean, these are just perfect examples of, you know, you waited on these guys and each one of them was, was undervalued. Yeah, and none of them did. Like Reynolds was a nice surprise. Um, Yuli um, sort of slowed down um, later in the year, but but like Reynolds did what he did in, in 2019. It's just in in 2020, I think he had like a 230 BABIP or something. Like you know, that's not going to stick for for a full season. So um, I think that's kind of where my my system helped me, just looking at at the right numbers and trusting and not worrying about. Um, like I don't even know what what a guy's batting average was last year. Um, it I just look at my metrics and put it together, and if it tells me that he should have a two sixty average, and for me that's the number. It's not if he had a two twenty average because I had a low BABIP, that doesn't make sense, and I I just don't pay attention to it. So um, that's it, it's probably where it helps me that I don't follow the look at the basic stats as, as much as other people. Cause it, it is hard to draft a hitter when you see it, I don't know, under 200 the previous year. Uh, it's just mentally there, you think. Or if he gave up, I don't know, two home runs per nine, um, it's it's there in the back of your mind. But when you've seen the numbers and you know a lot of that is, is bad luck, um, it, it makes it easier to draft them. Well, somebody who might have put a, given up two home runs per nine in the past 
was Robbie Ray. And, and that's <laughs> who you drafted in round 17. And, and you had a bunch of these league-winning starting pitchers. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you had a lot of these pitchers across different leagues, and that's how you wound up being as successful as you were last year. Robbie Ray in round 17, Logan Webb in round 22, Carlos Rodon in round 25, coupled with the fact that you had Jacob deGrom early, you had Charlie Morton, you had Pablo Lopez, who for the most part, those three pitchers... Look, we know DeGrom was amazing and then obviously got hurt, but you were able to pick up the slack because all three of these starting pitchers were amazing for you last year. So uh, how did you come to this conclusion? How did you draft guys like Ray, Webb, and Rodon? Um, Ray was just like, he had it off 2020, but uh, the strikeouts were still there. And if he could just go back to walking, I don't know, four, four and a half guys per nine, then looking at his career stats, he's clear like a four or four point two ERA guy. Um, he's not whatever we saw in twenty twenty six point six point sixty two. Um, so the walks were the issue in twenty twenty. Yeah, the Jays' offense behind him. So my thinking was, if he can just be a four four point two ERA guy with those strikeouts with that offense, gonna get strikeouts. I'm gonna get wins, and the ratios I'm hoping are gonna be okay. Um, but if he can fix the walks. He's got sliding upside because in three, four years ago, he was a close to three ERA guy, uh, even in, uh, yeah, 2017, 2.89 ERA. So um, if he can fix the walks and go back to being yeah, that guy, there's huge upside. Uh, but I was thinking his draft cost just for, for the wins and the strikeouts, it made sense. So um, it felt like a, a high floor, high upside, guys. Uh, yeah. So, um, and then Webb, I honestly don't know. It's just my system put him up there, and I got him on a bunch of teams. Trusted what my what my system said. Rodon was kind of funny one because I wasn't on him at all, and then I had to stop before my my last main. Um, all the hype around Dylan Cease with with Ethan Katz being the new pitching coach, and Dylan Cease is his his new project, but. If Ethan Katz is that good, he's not just going to focus on one guy. And I just said, why not Rodon? Um, he's a young pitcher. He's got good stuff. 25th round. Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't work out after two weeks, I'll drop him. Uh, no big deal. Uh, and and that, one, that one worked out pretty well. Yeah. No. And that's, again, it's a great point because... Yes, you have the system, and that's how you got Logan Webb, but then you're also, you're looking at outside factors, right? And you're, you know, deducing why can't, why can't Carlos Rodon, you know, be a breakout candidate if someone like Dylan ceases. So, again, it's, it's just, it's a credit to you that, you, you know, you're still making some gut calls and you're still following things outside of just what the numbers are telling you to do here. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, the draft isn't everything. You have to be a savvy in-season manager as well. We'll talk about the here on Fantasy Baseball today. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, so we went through the draft, and let's just talk about some things that you're paying attention to in season. We'll talk a little bit about Fab as well, but what are you keeping track of? Are you just looking at your accumulative statistics week you know, by the you're, you're a month in, or are you looking at what your team is doing every single week and then maybe kind of making your fab ads, your waiver wire ads based on uh, what your team just did that week? No, I don't pay attention to weekly stats. I think, think they're just too much volatility. Um, and usually, I I mean, I'm, I'm addicted to live scoring and standings. I'll look at it every day. And I'm, if I'm at the top of my event, I'll look at it 20 times a night. Um, but <laughs> As you should. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I know some people would say they don't even look at the, at the live scoring and don't look at the standings. I can't do that. I'm, I'm addicted to it. But um, I, I usually won't let it impact my, my decisions until at least June. Um, I'll, I'll look in June if I'm way below. Because in my mind, I drafted a balanced team. So why adjust so quickly into the season? Um, if in June I see I'm way behind in power, then I'll start adjusting my fab bits, start looking for more power. And there's still four months to do it. So... Until then, I just look for value, um, look for the best pickups I can find, um, and then try to adjust uh, just my team from there. All right, well, let's talk about uh, pickups and fab in general. Obviously, a huge, huge part of the game that is fantasy baseball. The draft is very important, but again, it's not everything. And over at the NFBC, you start with a $1,000 fab budget. Some people might play with $100. It's the same thing regardless. You just tack on uh, an extra zero there on the end. And what's your general approach when, when it comes to fab? I noticed uh, reading through these articles over at Sports Illustrated, the biggest spend you had this past season was Kendall Graveman for $94. And that was heading into week 11. From what I saw, maybe, maybe I missed one or two. Um, but is that how you're typically attacking fab staying you know, under that 10% threshold? Yeah, it is. Uh, usually I'll stay, I like the, the $4,200 range. Um, usually you're, if you're paying 200, 300, um, you're paying for, for the hype of the, the new hub, the new prospect. Um, and I'll do it at times. I, if, if I save my money and in July, um, Jordan Alvarez comes up, um, like he did, was it two years ago? Um, I got him in one league cause I had money left, but usually I, I just, Stick to those bids. Last year, I went up to win on some other teams. Uh, paid up for Cesar Hernandez and Robbie Grossman, maybe 120. Uh, but I'll really go higher than that. Like I said, in, in June or July, if I have more money left, then I'll, I'll pay up. But I feel if I pay if I pay too much early in May, then I, I'll miss other opportunities uh, that could come up if, if someone makes a bad drop. So you should just save my money and go... Um, I like streaming, so I'll, I'll add weekly uh, weekly hitters with good matchups, things like that. But I usually try to spread the money around, take take random shots, and some work out, some don't. Um, 
Danny Santana was one of the ones that didn't work out last time. I think I got him on every team just because I thought, ah, why not? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just spread the money around basically. You mentioned that you like streaming and that's mostly for hitters, not pitchers, because it it seems like in a 15 team league, if you're adding pitchers to actually play and put in your lineup, that's pretty dangerous. Yeah, if you stream pitchers, it's because something went wrong. Um, yeah. I've, I've done it on some teams, but um, and that's kind of what happened in 2021 when I thought oh, I got to get more pitchers early because uh, just the years before I just remembered, man, like all my good teams are the ones where I have the same four or five pitchers I can put in my lineup every week. Um, if you're streaming one or two spot, if the, if there's no starters you like, then you you, you just grab a, a Chad Green or a Devin Williams or someone like that. Um, then that's fine. But if if you're looking for two, three, four pitchers every week, it's just a disaster. So yeah, I'd rather stream hitters than pitchers. Two words, Phil. Austin Gomber. I know you remember it from this past season. <laughs> People picked up Austin Gomber for a two-star week, and I'm looking at it right here. It was the end of April. He was facing the Giants and the Diamondbacks. Now, we knew the Diamondbacks were bad. We didn't know at the time that the Giants were as good as they turned out to be. Both starts were on the road. He was away from Coors Field. The first start that week, one and two-thirds, seven hits, nine earned runs, four walks for Austin Gomber. And I, I picked him up in a spot or two. I didn't I didn't use him in the main, thankfully. But yeah, it's just that is one that sticks out where I'm just like, we need to rethink two-star pitchers because I think the days of kind of picking these guys up and streaming them, uh, they're gone. I, I don't think that you, you could probably pull it off in a 12-team league. It's much easier. But in a 15-teamer, man, it is tough. So I would say maybe stay away of uh, from the Austin Gobbers. He actually turned out to be pretty good after that. But yeah, that was that was just an awful start. Um, a few pitchers that you added along the way that really helped you out on this team, which I noticed. Alex Wood, Ranger Suarez, and then three would-be closers. Kyle Finnegan, Dylan Floro, Alex Colome. So two questions here. Do you hoard your money for around the trade deadline because you know every year there's going to be things that happen and, and closers are going to emerge. Um, and how did you know to hold on to Ranger Suarez? Because once once he was removed from the closers role, it's like you didn't really know what was going to happen next. So how did you do that? So first for the closers, um, in middle June, I was, or even early June, I was top five in the main event. And I was probably bottom 100 out of, I think it was 600 last year, um, for saves. So I knew if I can find saves, I have a good chance at winning it. Um, and I know the best time to find saves is the trade deadline. So um, yes, I did save more money that night. I usually do um, for that trade deadline. I spent hours and hours looking at trade rumors, figuring out which guys I can pick up the week before, seeing um, who's next in line, um, and that's where Kyle Finnegan came up. Um, I actually picked him up for $2 before the trade deadline um, with my friend Rob DiPietro. We're the only two across all NFBC leagues that picked him up that week, um, which which is kind of funny. And I don't know if I win the main event without Kyle Finnegan. And if I don't pick him up a week early, I don't know if I have the money to spend. The next week he went for 50 60 I think, in, in most leagues. So... Um, if I don't make that pickup, I don't think I can afford the 60 bucks, um, after, after the trade deadline. So, um, that's probably my favorite pick of the year, actually. Sorry. What's the, oh yeah. Ranger Suarez. Um, that actually came down to 
Jacob deGrom or Ranger Suarez. And I was one of the first people who dropped Jacob deGrom and um, Suarez was the other option. And the way I saw it was I had good pitching. I didn't need to be bold. I just needed the guy that I can put in there. Um, and my pitching was pretty solid at that point. So I could afford the, the two, three weeks that it would take Suarez to to warm up and, and start um, going five plus innings. Uh, but the grandma had no idea if he'd pitch, if he'd pitch. So I sort of went the safe route. Suarez was, of course, a lot better than I expected, but I just needed a backup, a guy that I knew could get me a four ERA instead of having to stream a guy, an Austin Gomber type um, <laughs> who could blow up any time and uh, mess up my ratio. So I just needed a safe pitcher. Um, and that's why I kept um, Suarez instead of the Grom. It, it, a lot of people thought I, I was crazy at the time. Um, I think I tweeted out um, when I dropped Jacob the Grom. And not an, I don't think a lot of people would have made that call. And Suarez was, my pitching was good. So I don't know if he was a difference maker, but um, it definitely helped um, help that yeah. team. The hitters, I'll quickly mention here who you added, who really kind of helped propel you. Joey Votto, you picked him up when he got hurt. You waited on him. He came back. He was obviously amazing. I think it was, what, seven or eight games where he homered in a row. He was awesome. I had him in a few other leagues um, and, yeah, reaped the benefits as well. And we talked about him a lot in this podcast last year. It was was absolutely crazy what he he went out and did. And uh, Dalton Varsho, another name there. Kind of, I, he's a polarizing player for me this upcoming season. Frank Schwindel and Lane Thomas, two of my favorites, man. Uh, Frankie two hits, as we like to call him here on the podcast. The guy was awesome down the stretch. And then Lane Thomas, who I actually do like quite a bit this season as well. I think he's going to lead off for the Nationals, at least to start the season. We'll see if he can hold on to that. But if he does, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Uh, I do like Lane Thomas quite a bit myself. Dalton Varsha, I'll just quickly add you, uh, ask you about him. ADP right now is like in the sixth round of these 15-team leagues. Are you willing to pay that price tag? Probably not. And in a main event where I'm looking for steals, if I find myself in a position where I'm behind in stolen base and I have to do something about it, then I'll, I'll consider it. Um, it seems a little early. We'll, we'll see how it, it might change in, in spring training when we see how, how the playing time shakes out. Uh, but if he's playing center field four times a week and catching two times a week, um, and hitting in the top of the lineup, he can get the 600 plate appearances and not a lot of catchers can do that. So um, the upside is there, Um, but he's not as skilled as the other top catchers. So um, you're you're getting the the stolen base they're not getting from anyone else. But um, if he struggles, are the Diamondbacks going to put Kettle Marte back in center field and put Farsho just as a backup catcher? That's possible, and that's not going to happen with uh, with JTR or Will Smith or the other catchers going uh, a little bit before him. So, I, I it, for now, no. But in spring, it, it might change if I if I'm convinced that he can get to to five fifty or six hundred plate appearances. Yeah, I think that's very well said, and I won't argue the upside because you're right. If if he's playing in the outfield and he's playing a little bit of catcher, his playing time has the ability to be second or third best among catcher-eligible players at Fantasy. I think Salvador Perez is kind of in a league of his own right now because he just DHs so much. He played 161 games last year, which is absurd. And then JT Romuto with the DH coming to the National League. Uh, maybe he doesn't get to like 160 like Salvi did, but I would bet on him playing at, at least 140 games, probably more than that, uh, for Real Muto this upcoming season. The downside for Varsho, I think, is that 
you know, if he really struggles, he could be back in the minors. He still has a few options left, and they have some prospects coming. They have Alec Thomas. So uh, I like the player. I think he's interesting. Don't really love the price tag right now for Dalton Varsho. Let's wrap up with a few 2022 questions. A little bit of strategy, a little bit of, you know, this guy or this guy. We don't have to spend too much time on each one of these, but uh, I mentioned you took Garrett Cole, fourth overall in this draft that you're doing right now. Uh, I assume that you have him as your SP1 over Corbin Burns. Yeah, I do. Um, and for me, it's not even close. Um, I, know, I, I know Burns was really good last year. He was good in 2020, but he doesn't have the same track record as Garrett Cole. He's probably going to have to face a DH this year. Um, also, last year or two years ago, he faced a bunch of AL Central teams. Last year, his interleague schedule was against DAL Central. This year, it's DAL East. So it's only four or five games. But facing the, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Jays, is it the same as facing um, the Tigers and the, uh, the Twins? And uh, the White Sox were pretty good. But So I think that's going to make a bit of a difference. Um, and I know there's a lot of talk about Cole and the, and the sticky stuff. But his numbers from... June 16th until September 1st, which was right before the, the hamstring injury. He had 3.19 ERA, 3.08 XFIP, 12.5 K per nine, 2.6 walks per nine, 1.2 home runs per nine. So that's pretty much right in line with everything he's done in the last three years. Um, so I assume over the full offseason, the hamstring's fine. Um, he's been healthy for a while. So, and the MLB might even have a new ball with the, uh, with sticky stuff on it. So um, he might even have, he could have the upside of going back to uh, the pitcher he was like uh, a year or two ago. He's just even more dominant. So for me, he's, he's the clear number one. All right. Phil is sticking with Garrett Cole there. And a uh, true story, we were DMing earlier today on Twitter and he says, oh, I listen to the podcast. I have some stuff on Garrett Cole. <laughs> we talked about Garrett Cole, obviously, on uh, yesterday's podcast. So Phil's here to to clear the air when it comes to uh, Garrett Cole as the SP1. Speaking of one, number one, the first overall pick. What do you think about this talk? There's been a lot that uh, Jose Ramirez should be in contention for the first overall pick because of third base scarcity. Obviously, he's also a really, really good player. Doesn't have the batting average ceiling as someone like a Fernando Tatis or a Trey Turner, but you know, very likely to go 30-plus homers, 20, even 25 steals at a really scarce third base position. What do you think about him going first overall? I've got him third or fourth. Um, I think Tatis and Turner on another level. Um, and then I like probably like Cole at three. Uh, but in, in a league where pitching doesn't get pushed up um, as much in the NFBC, I can see JRAM at three. Um, I know this position scarred City, but the gap between first rounders is bigger than it is for second, third, fourth, fifth rounders and so on. Like the gap gets smaller as, as you move um, later in the draft. So I'm not going to move up JRAM two spots when I can – probably makes more sense to move up a third baseman in 10th round by half a round than it does moving up Ramirez above two guys that I think are are way, way above um, him in terms of skills. All right, let's move closer uh, further into the first round. And I'll just give you this guy or this guy. And we have Bryce Harper and Kyle Tucker who are being drafted anywhere from like picks eight to 10 right now. Who would you rather have between those two? I like Harper. Um, I don't fully trust the power of it with Tucker. Um, and first round seems too early for a guy that was hitting sixth for most of the year last year and even seventh at times. Um, and Harper is one of those 
strange guys that he's been he's been a first and second rounder for a long time. Um, but and he's probably going to give you late for first or early second round value. But there's always that MVP season, the, the great Bryce Harper season that you never know. It could always be there, and you could always out of nowhere start to steal 20, 25 bases if he, if he feels like it. So doesn't have quite the speed, but um, he seems to have the the ability to, to read pitchers, the experience that if he, if he wants to, he he could. Yeah, I, look, he could still get a, one of these peak batting average seasons as well. I mean, he hit 309 last year, and I know most projection systems won't have him for a 300 batting average, but it's within, it's within his range of outcomes. We've seen some really massive spike batting average seasons out of Bryce Harper in the past. How about if you're all the way at the back end of the first round of a 15-team league, you got some decisions to make because we got uh, a lot of outfielders going in this range with Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Luis Robert, and then if you want to throw Ronald Acuna in that mix, but uh, with Acuna, obviously we have the injury concerns. Same thing with Trout. He's getting up there in age, coming off the calf injury, doesn't really, really run much anymore. Betts coming off the hip injury, and then you kind of have this young gun in, in Luis Robert who uh, looks like he's ready to take that next step, but hasn't really been able to stay healthy himself either. So what would you do there in the back end? I'd go Luis Robert. Um, he's on the way up, and he's probably the one where I, I trust the health the most. I know he was hurt last year, but he came back a lot quicker than everyone expected. Um, and he he was I I just think and I mean I play I play NFBC, so we're we're stolen bases are premium, and you have to get stolen bases. Um, so I'll I'll take the the upside and speed with Robert. I think Bats could stop stealing and do what what Mike Trout did and just completely stop stealing and because he doesn't have to, and the Dodgers want to keep him healthy. Um, and if, if Robert is healthy, he's going to play 155, which I don't think is going to happen with bats and trout. He's been hurt for a while, so I don't trust the health either. And I'll just throw this out there. I don't actually believe the White Sox lineup will be as good as the Blue Jays lineup last year. But if I'm looking for that team to kind of ascend and you know maybe take that next step as a collective lineup, I think the White Sox could be really, really good this year. So uh, Luis Robert, whether he's at the top, if he's in the middle, uh, you mentioned Eloy Jimenez, who's going in the fifth round. A Still think Jose Abreu perennially undervalued just because he's getting old, but he just does what he does. I like the White Sox uh, quite a bit there in terms of lineups this season. Starling Marte versus Whit Merrifield. I actually had this exact dilemma myself in the middle of the second round of that draft that I mentioned, and I went with Starling Marte, and I think it's it's a really interesting comp because Whit is safer uh, he's managed to stay healthy. The guy is an Ironman. He does not miss games. Stalling Marte is the complete opposite. You could basically guarantee he's going to have one IL stint per season. But on a per-game basis, I think that he's... I don't think. I know that he's better than Whit Merrifield. So who would you take there, Whit versus Stalling Marte? I would have gone the safe route with Whit. Um, <laughs> but, but that's... Um, if I'm doing $150 DC, then I consider Stalling Marte... Uh, but if you do go that route, count for 45 to 50, 50 stolen bases for Starling Marte. And if if he gets that, then you've got a shot in overall because that's where his value is going to be. Um, if you're only only counting on 25, 30 and you draft a bunch of other stolen bases, then you could end up just having too too much um, and you're sort of wasting his his upside. So if I'm going that route, then I'm playing for the full upside with, with Marte. Uh, but in 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 a main, I I go with with the safe, probably with getting 100, 250 more plate appearances than than Soling Marte. So um, I, I'd go that route. All right, Buck. Let's 
Let's let uh, let's let Starling Marte run a little bit this year. I know in the past the Orioles didn't run much. They really didn't have any fast guys. So I think it's probably more so of the rosters that Buck Walter had back in the day there. Let's see. At the 2-3 turn, we have some starting pitchers going. Julio Arias versus Sandy Alcantara. This is an interesting one that we've actually talked about on this podcast as well. Sandy is getting pushed up so far, and I get it because I think that there's this interesting combo of innings. He gives you volume, uh, and I think that there's more strikeout upside based on the swinging strike rate that he showed last year. So I don't like that he's being pushed up this far, but I do like Sandy quite a bit. What do you think, Sandy versus Arias? Um, I probably need Arias, uh, but my system hates Alcantara. Um, but it didn't like Burns last year either. So, um, and I can see something similar. He, he made a, a change and he was just, a, he was an ace for the last two months. So um, it's definitely possible that, that it's missing something. And I wouldn't even be surprised if he was a top five pitcher. But I, I'm not going to have any shares. But he's not a pick I can I can criticize that much because he could be that guy. Um, the problem I have with him is that guy that was striking out eight batters per nine isn't that far away. And he's on the Marlins. So there's, no, there's nothing guaranteed. I, I don't like that... The price seems to be all have all the upside baked in. Um, there's no floor with strikeouts. There's no floor with wins. Um, you're just hoping that what you saw from the last month and a half or two months sticks for, for a full year, which is possible, but um, I don't like paying for it. Um, between the two, the skills kind of seem similar. I just like the extra four or five wins that Arias is likely to get um, just because he's on the Dodgers switch the teams and I like Alcantara on the Dodgers bed and I like Rias on, on the Marlins. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely fair. Last one I'll ask you about here, the middle of the third round, let's say you either take two hitters early on or, you know, you want to get uh, a second starting pitcher early in your draft. I think this is, a lot of people are targeting this range for pitcher and it's Aaron Nola versus Lucas Giolito. I think they're both really talented last year, basically a full season of unluckiness for Aaron Nola uh, versus Lucas Giolito, who was still very good, Hasn't managed to pitch more than 180 innings in any season yet. He's on a good team. Obviously, the stuff is there. What do you think, Nola versus Giolito? I'd go Nola. Um, as you said, it seemed it looks like a full season of being unlucky. Um, I don't know if you can be unlucky for that long, but <laughs> I do believe that uh, when you have a full off season to go back and look at what happened, um, it's an easy fix. So. I like him better for this year than I would have liked him for September last year because I think in the offseason you can fix things. Um, Giolito, it seems like the, the strikeouts were all gone um, after the, the sticky stuff thing. So what was he like? I think nine strikeouts per nine in the second half. It's it's a big downgrade from the, the 12 strikeouts per nine guy that he was a year ago. So I'm I'm a bit worried about Gilu, and I had a lot of him last year, and it was just a lot of inconsistencies, and I'm 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 worried about him for for this year. So I'd, I'd go Nola, and then hope that he he fixes whatever was wrong um, last year. All right, Phil, this was a lot of fun. Last question, I swear, last question. <laughs> How will you approach 2022? I mean, there's obviously a target on your back now. You take down as many things as you did last season. Uh, and you know that everyone is dissecting your teams. There are literally articles being written that are dissecting your not only your draft, but everything that you did within the season. So everyone knows they're going to be looking for the next Robbie Ray, the next Carlos Rodon, this you know high strikeout upside pitcher later on in drafts, or, or maybe veteran hitters who are being undervalued. 
what do you do? How do you, how do you handle this? And it, we were talking beforehand, maybe you do a few drafts where you, you take players that you don't want to throw people off. I mean, you got enough money to kind of mess around with it now. So I would do it. What are you going to do? <laughs> Honestly, it kind of sucks. Cause I like, I like being on Twitter and debating. Our I like going on podcasts and saying the guys are like giving away all my strategies and no one caring. That was fun. Now, if I, if I say I like a player, I feel his ADP is going to move up a little bit. Not that I do it if, if someone else did, but people are telling me that they're paying attention to what I'm doing. So um, I have to be more careful with what I say. I, I, I won't do any drafts where I draft players I don't like, but in the first DC I did, the, the 150 DC I did um, a month ago, I paid more attention to ADP. So I won't draft guys I don't like, but if there's a guy I'm sort of neutral about and he's there around after ADP, I'll take him. I won't do that for main. In a main, I might have a list of 100 players that I'm really considering. In an early DC, that list might be at 250. So I won't draft guys I don't like, but eh, I'll I'll play the ADP game more and uh, still put a good team together, but um, not not a main event team where, where I'll, I'll reach for my guys that the guys that I really like. All right, man. Well, welcome to the club. You know, people can access my information whenever they want to. Not that people care. It's like I haven't had enough success, a success where people are like, hmm, who is Frank Stanfield drafting this year? I'm going to take that guy. Like, no one cares yet. Who knows? Maybe I'll get to that point one day. But uh, yeah, this is this is part of the blessing and the curse. Um, people, you know, obviously want to hear what you have to say. But at the same time, you, you do have that target on your back. He is Phil Dusso. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Phil Dusso 27 Again, the last name there, D-U-S-S-A-U-L-T-27. Phil, it was a fantastic season for you. Once again, congratulations. And I cannot thank you enough for joining me here today. Thanks for having me, Frank. It was great. Yeah. All right. So again, he is Phil. Make sure to follow him. Uh, and we're watching you, Phil. We're watching you to see what happens here in the offseason. For Phil, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball. Today we'll be back again tomorrow with Scott and Chris. Bye-bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.